Have you ever found yourself in that scenario where you know the task really takes more than what you're willing to give, but you, maybe it's a two-person job or a three-person job or a three-trip job to, to get to the car to home, but you're going to try by yourself. And you may have tried it and you may have failed, but no one knows because you did it by yourself. Anyone had that? You don't have to put your hand up, but anyone had those sort of, those sort of moments? There was a moment, I, um, it, was, it was probably about 12 months ago now, where one of the crosses had fallen over, and just by ironic chance, I mentioned this at the last service, and yes, one of the crosses has fallen over, um, <laughs> again. <laughs> and, but this, this time that it had fallen over, it had fully come off. There's a bolt that holds them to the stand where they're, they're mounted to, and the bolt had come undone, and the cross was on the ground, and... And it, it bugs me because there's these crosses on the hill on our property and they're an incredible reminder. And every time I come to, to church, I love seeing them up there as a, as a consistent reminder of God's love for us. And so when one of them is on the ground, it's like, ooh, got to do something about it. So there's this one day um, where I've got to do something about it. And so I've gone to, to put this cross back up. And as soon as I picked it up, I realized, ooh, this is heavy. Like This is a big wooden cross and I got it into position and then I'm now trying to sort of lean on the cross with my shoulder with this giant bolt because this is big stuff and I'm trying to use my hands to to get this bolt to thread on realizing that I actually need a tool to do this but now I've got the cross up there I don't want to let it go because that would be bad to put the cross on the ground and so now I'm stuck with this cross and, and then this weight hit me that gave me more, like more at risk of putting the cross down because I realized that Jesus didn't put the cross down for me. So now, now not only physically am I unable to do this, but now emotionally and spiritually, I'm invested and I can't do anything. <laughs> Help! <laughs> I'm up on the... My um, son, Ryland, came to the rescue and I gave him my keys. The whole time, this whole thing's happening while holding the, the weight of the cross in place. Get my keys and he's running around the church. I can't find it. Oh, try that cupboard. You know, comes back. Where's that cupboard? So it was probably a half hour to 45 minute journey holding this cross, which I could have placed down and gone and driven home in that time and got the tool and came back and easily could have done the job. Anyway, the cross is up there and now it's fallen over again, so we'll fix that after the service <laughs> with help from others. We are, there's a point, we continue our series in Acts where the disciples are in a place where they are unable to continue something. There is a weight that they are bearing that is too much to do on their own, and they need the Holy Spirit. And they're in a place of waiting. And I believe that as a church, there are some of us that are trying to go through life carrying a weight that is more than we can bear on our own. In fact, it's actually a weight that we're not meant to bear on our own, that we're meant to partner with God, with His Spirit, to be able to achieve those tasks. And today we're going to see what Scripture has to say about what it looks like to partner with God, to allow His Spirit in us, and how that changes the way that we live. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we thank you that you've given us determination and grit that we try and do things on our own. However, may we not carry things that are not ours to carry. And Lord, may we partner with you and allow your spirit to guide us. Lord, for those of us that are sitting here this morning that know there's an area of our life that we are feeling tired and weary and drained, Lord, I pray that your scripture would reveal a different way to live this morning as we open up Acts chapter 2. In Jesus' name, amen. So, quick leave... Quick update on where we left off last week. There's 120 disciples, and they've been instructed by Jesus to wait for the gift that the Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we left off last week in Acts chapter 1. We're going to dive straight into it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, on the, when the day of Pentecost came, they gathered together in one place. So they're together. There's 120 people, and it's a day of Pentecost. It's a day of, day of celebration It's one of the Jewish traditions that they would celebrate. And if you want to unpack it a bit more, you can look at Leviticus chapter 23. But it's it's near one of these days of um, the the harvest, like it's the the first fruits sort of celebration. So it's a really incredible celebration of what God did and what he's promised. And so they're coming together, they're having a feast, they're celebrating the goodness of God and what he did. We continue on then... Well, it doesn't say then, but verse 2, suddenly a sound like a blowing, the, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that, that separated and came to rest on each of them. The verse 2 says there's this sound like a blowing wind, like a violent wind. Now that word for, for wind has the same meaning in both, both Old Testament and New Testament words, in both the Greek, uh, the Hebrew and the Greek. In the Hebrew, the, the word for wind is riach. You kind of got to clear your throat at the end of the word. And, and it means spirit. And so it's not just a wind, but there's a, there's a spirit that has filled the room. And, and in the Greek word, the word's pneuma, which means breath or spirit. And what's taking place here is, is that a similar word that is used in Genesis chapter 2, when God created humanity and he breathed life into the nostrils of Adam, and, and through his breath, humanity was born. And what we see taking place in Acts 2 is through his breath, his church is born through the Holy Spirit, which is the next verse. We're not quite there yet, but spoiler alert, verse 4, Holy Spirit. <laughs> And so, so his breath is breathing into the room and his spirit is moving. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And there's something significant that we need to understand about that because we've, we've spoken about it already, but the, the Acts joins Old Testament and New and Old Covenant and brings this New Covenant into, into life and action for us to, to follow and learn and, and, and be guided by And so in the Old Testament, we see fire often symbolized from where God is and God communicating, God speaking. And so what does that look like? So for example, if we see uh, Exodus chapter 3, we see that Moses is in this place where he's kind of run away from his people. He's done something wrong. But God speaks to him in the form of this bush that is burning. 
But there's something about the bush that's unique, that's different. For those that may know the story, it's, it's one of those fairly common stories. But what's happening to the bush that's unique? Yeah, it, it's, it doesn't burn. Like, it do, it's not consumed. Like, like, it continues to burn. Now, that's important because when God speaks, there's not a limitation on his voice. There's not a limitation on God because God's outside of time. If the bush was consumed, that limits God. There's a limited time to speak. There's a limited time to his power. There's a limitation to God. However, the way God speaks with the bush, it is not consumed. And it lasts forever because God is eternal. This idea of of a flame that is not extinguished, a flame that that is God or symbolizes God in his, his word and his purpose and his relationship with his people, continues through into the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13, they see that they, they build this, this temple or the tent of meeting, and then it becomes a temple in, um, after David. And in this temple, they have this flame. And Leviticus says it is not to be extinguished because God is eternal. And so we see this, this communication from God that is symbolized in a flame that is eternal. And we see a, a change. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, so we won't go right into it. But we see a, a change from what was one flame for all of God's people, one form of communication, one form of leading, now separate and became an everlasting communication, still one form but for individuals for each member who is in the upper room. And so God's Spirit comes and fills each, each one, communicating with them. Because of the spoiler alert, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So each and every one, there was no favoritism, there was no diversity of, of male or female or where you grew up or what your education was, all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. We're going to touch on this. We're not going to go right like deep into it, but there's two forms of tongues that we read in Scripture. And the forms of tongues that's like a spiritual language that you may have heard about is, is like 1 Corinthians 14 speaks to that in more detail. And and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, from around verse 14 through to 19, around what the gift of tongues looks like. And he talks about a spiritual language where some people are, are gifted. And Paul says, you know, I am, I am so happy that I am gifted among better than all of you. He's sort of humble. It's like one of those sort of boastful humilities sort of statements. He says, like, I'm so happy that I have this incredible gift. Actually, I've got the gift better than anybody else. But, in verse 19, he goes on to say, I would rather say five works, five words of instruction when, when speaking God, God's word to his church than a thousand words in tongues that no one can understand. You see, there's a purpose for tongues that we see in Scripture. That tongues is different to what we read in Luke. Luke is a specific reason for the, the tongues that they're given because remember in Acts chapter 1, Verse 8, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They are in Jerusalem now. And so this is a gift from God in a place, in a time, for a specific purpose. 
the tongues in 1 Corinthians is a different tongues. And, and we'll cover that when we cover Corinthians, but that's not for today. Let's go into verse 5 because it unpacks what this gift is for and how it plays out. They were staying in Jerusalem, once again, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So it's every nation, but they're Jews. So it's, it's Jewish people. God is restoring to himself first his chosen, set-apart, holy people. So that is a, a very focused group. But the Jews have scattered because of persecution. So now they're all over the place. The Jews have come back from every nation, and they heard, when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. It's like, what's going on? Because each one heard in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed. They asked, well, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? So let's unpack that just a little bit. So they've scattered. They've all got different languages because they're in different parts of the Roman Empire, the known world at the time. Now, they've all come back and they're hearing their own language being spoken. But not only that, it's coming from Galileans. Galileans are like the blue-collar workers of the ancient world, of this world. They're, they're kind of like, they're spiritual bogans. Like, they're, you, you, if you wanted something built, you'd go to Galilee. If you want good fish, you go to Galilee. If you want something done with the hands, you know, something that's crafted, you go to Galilee. If you want something academic, nah, nah. They're nice, but, you know, like, let's, let's not hurt them, you know. And so these guys are amazed because these Galileans are speaking stuff that makes sense. That's got, and the epitome of the academic world was to be a rabbi. You know, in Jewish culture, rabbis were the celebrities. They were like the, the cream of the crop. And these blue-collar, average people are speaking out with incredible wisdom. And they're, they're totally and utterly amazed. But more than that, verse 8, then how is it that each of us hear them in our own language, our native language, the languages of different tribes that are from all over the place? I'm not going to say where they're from. I've been practicing all week and I still cannot get it right. All the names of different areas. But we'll pick it up in, in verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they're, they're confused. They ask one another, what does this mean? What, what, what I love about this passage is what drew them in to engage in the conversation. What, what was this wonders that these blue-collar people are speaking that was, was so enticing that people were drawn in for a deeper conversation? Well, see, if we, if we just summarise, they're in the upper room, they're, they're waiting for God, and in this space that they're waiting, what we see is, is now that the Holy Spirit has come and has filled them, and their first response is to declare the wonders of God. Their first response upon receiving the Holy Spirit is to declare the wonders of God. It's worship. It is worship. That They're simply saying, thank you. It's so overwhelming what God is doing in them that they can't help but just praise him. It's not focused on others. It's not a sermon. You're not preaching to them. That happens in verse 14. 
We're not there yet. They're just declaring and praising God because of the individual relationship. Remember, the, the flame on each of them. Each of them are filled with a personal relationship with, with Jesus. And because of that, they're declaring his wonders. Now, people are being drawn in. And, and like this happens in society, when people are confused and they don't understand something, often they look for an out. Often they look for a loop, like a, almost not really a loophole, but they're looking for something else to, to pin their confusion on rather than wrestling with the issue. This is exactly what happens here. For example, if I was to start naming different politicians across Australia, each of us would have mixed emotions depending on where we sit, on political parties and different views. And what we see in the media is people start singling out the politician rather than the policy or the party. And they start attacking the individual rather than looking at the, the group or the weight or whatever they're, they're dealing with, which, which is huge weight, of course, in our nation at the moment. And we see it's exactly the same. It's, it's human nature, but we see this in Scripture that some, however, made fun of them. They, they're not looking at the issue or they're not looking that they're praising God. They're just start trying to justify and so they start going... Have they had too much wine? Like, are they drunk? What, what is going on? I don't understand this, so I'm just going to put a different filter over it. And, and, and so the very first sermon that Peter ever preaches, anointed by the Holy Spirit, his first words are this. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, the apostles, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. Profound. Imagine, you know, it's like, wow. <laughs> it's only nine in the morning. He's first. You, you, some people try and glorify ministry and have all these great things of what they're going to say and what they're going to do for Jesus and how it looks. Peter's first words are, they're not drunk. <laughs> Profound. <laughs> What he does go on to say is quite deep and profound. If you've been following with the devotions, we covered this a couple of weeks ago and we're speaking to the last chapter in Luke where their eyes were, all of a sudden God, Jesus gave them the ability to understand the Old Testament, the Scriptures. And we see this fulfilled now in Luke chapter 2 as, he, as Peter starts to quote the, the prophet Joel and the prophet that, that talks about this one who's going to come and save them. And, and so all of a sudden, they're, they're like, wow, this is amazing. Once again, blue-collar workers, they're not supposed to know this stuff, especially in this much detail. And then Peter starts talking about David, the greatest king that, that Israel had ever seen. Oh, wow, they're not supposed to know the detail about that as well. Wow, this is amazing. And then we go on, we pick it back up in verse 37. And when people heard this, the, the, the the ideas of the prophet Joel and the greatest king that they've ever had in David. Verse 37, when they heard, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A gift. It's not something earned. It's something that is given. The gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? 
Well, the word holy means to be set apart. God created a nation in Israel, the the set-apart nation, his chosen people. And God's Holy Spirit is a set-apart spirit that he gives as a gift to live in us. It, It is a voice, it is a thought, it is different ways that God uses it, but it's something that God has given us that is set apart to our spirit, our thoughts, our will. Verse 39, the promise is for you and your children, for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. There's a handful of words that stand out in this passage, but I love the the about. About 3,000-ish. There's just so many people that are being face-to-face with the Old Testament prophets, this incredible, incredible king that are pointing to this point where God will send a saviour and that saviour is Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden they're just amazed and that they realise that he is the way, the truth and the life, and they put their faith in him because of that. They believe, and on the very same day, they are baptized and filled with the Spirit. And there's so many of them, they don't even have an accurate number because they're just so busy leading people and having conversations and baptizing them on the very first day that the church was born. And so what do we see take place in, in sort of this cluster of, of process? Because we love process And we love systems and we love strategy, but what we see sort of take place all in the same space is that that people believed that there was a move of the Holy Spirit and and as soon as they accepted the Holy Spirit and they experienced it, they they couldn't help but worship God. And as they worship God, they're they're now witnessing to others about the great things God has done in their life. And, And in that, more than that, because of these incredible experiences they've had of the Holy Spirit and of God, they're pleading with others to experience that for themselves, but to do that, they've got to be sorry and, and they've got to understand what Jesus did. And so they're, they're using these words and they're pleading with them. And, and, and then once they believe, they're instantly baptized on the very same day. And that starts their discipleship journey. A baby Christian is born, but not just that. There's 3,000 baby Christians are born that day. Believe the Holy Spirit, worship, witness and plead. Baptized and discipleship. And it's, there's no, it just all happens at once. There's a journey to, to believe in, but once they believe, it's like, bang, this is the start of an incredible journey of faith. You see, the disciples went from 120 to 3,120 about on that day. The difference was the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, they had all the teaching, all the equipping, all the experiences that they could ever want. But they needed something to be able to go. And that thing they needed was the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge us today that that we are the same. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't fill out God's purpose for us as an individual or as God's church. We can't do what God has called us to do. We are just people. And without God, we're just people full of our failures and our weaknesses and our insecurities. But when we have that set apart spirit, 
that spirit that is bigger than us, that spirit that, that we now have access to because Jesus died on the cross, it makes all the difference. Earlier in the year, we, we had a, a series called What Faith? And in that series, we saw three families within our church speak about what it looks like to be led by the Holy Spirit. In one, one of the, the weeks that we heard from a, a family who were in a horrific accident, and in the midst of this accident, even coming out of surgery, there was a peace and a comfort and, and, a, and a communication that was taking place to those around that was being led by the Holy Spirit that isn't normal. Usually when you're, you're in accidents, you're full of anxiety and all that sort of stuff, and painkillers might help a little bit, but yeah, there's a lot going on. But what we heard in that story was even when they were coming out of surgery, this individual was, was sharing the gospel with those around him. Are you okay? I'm going to be fine. I'm a Christian. Full of faith and ministering to those around. We heard this, this incredible story of somebody that was looking for a way to, to help the community. And God sort of had said, you need, you need to wait. You need some money to do this. They're like, okay, I can put some money in it. God said, no, I will provide the money. And they're like, oh, okay, what do I do with that? Not knowing that God's spirit is always in alignment with God's spirit. It never goes against it. God's voice is always right. If you're wondering what the Holy Spirit sounds like, it's a voice that is always right. And you can test it against Scripture and with others. And once again, we did another message series on the voice of God. And Anne spoke brilliantly on how to hear the voice of God. I encourage you to listen to that. And in that, but God's voice, you know it's right because it's always in alignment. So here's somebody waiting to, to not quite sure what to do and waiting for some finances while God's speaking to someone over here saying, you need to give this person some money. Don't let them know who you are and you don't need to know what it's for. And so this person, not realising anything that's going on over here, donates some money anonymously. And in doing so, the alignment of God's will is fulfilled here and from there they, they go and start what becomes the reverse advent calendar and because of that, now thousands of people, God's will, both give and receive at Christmas time. People give because they want to see, they just want to be consumerist at Christmas time. Christians and non-Christians alike are giving at Christmas time to a cause so that those in need can receive because God gave his son at Christmas time so that we could receive eternal salvation. Incredible. Because of the Holy Spirit. Then we heard of another family that that felt so compelled to go overseas, or it wasn't a family then, but came back as a family, which is kind of cool, but that felt like they wanted to go overseas and minister. And in doing that, left everything they knew and went over and became a missionary because of the Holy Spirit leading. I want you to know the Holy Spirit communicates in really different and diverse ways. Our story... Uh, personally, Yvette and myself and our kids, were, we were a part of this church a number of years ago. And God called me into full-time ministry and called us as a family into it. And we were wrestling with it because when God first laid on my heart, I want you to go to ministry, I put a condition. And I said to God, God, I will do, go anywhere you want, but please don't send me to Melbourne. And he, he, he was faithful and he sent us to Sydney. Thanks, God. I'm sure God's sitting there going, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but when we're wrestling with that, we're putting out fleeces 
In doing that, we're testing Scripture and we're testing God's will because we're about to leave everything we've ever known. And in that, God was really faithful and he kept giving us confirmation. We've got to this point where it's like, actually, I need a, we need a break from this confirmation because this is, this is an emotional toll on us. And so uh, at that point, we had Rylan, who was about one or two, and Maya that wasn't even one yet. So young, young family. Geordie hadn't been born yet, our youngest. And, and we're, we've gone to the beach. We're getting away from everything in the the normal voices and the normal routine. And, and during the same time that the, um, in Australian media, there was a, a talent show that had started up. And when you got to the finals of this talent show, there was a phrase and the, the final was in Sydney. So that's how you're going to Sydney. Heap other catchphrases and all that stuff that were a part of the, the, the show at the time. And so while we're running away from this Thing that God's laying on our heart and we were trying to escape it, we thought, well, we'll go to the beach and so we go through McDonald's and we get this little kid's meal and in the kid's meal they had all these, these toys that you get with the meal and one of the toys was aligned with this talent show that was on TV and it had this microphone that you click a button and it had all these different things that were, would go past all these phrases that were on the, the TV show. And so at that time... Ryland, either one or two years old, clicks the button as we're escaping God and goes, Mummy, and holds up a McDonald's toy which reads, You are going to Sydney. Seriously? What I'm not saying is don't go to McDonald's to hear the voice of God after the service. You can have Maccas if you want, it's all good. But, but what I am saying is that don't limit the Holy Spirit in how he speaks to you. God's Spirit spoke to someone deeply through an act of generosity. God's Spirit spoke to somebody in the midst of, of incredible, what, you know, incredible pain and suffering in what could have been you know, a totally life-threatening experience, yet they were open to God's Spirit. God, God, somebody was obedient to God's Spirit in going to the mission field. As a family, we were obedient to God because he was calling us to full-time ministry. And I've got to say, the eight years in in. Sydney were some of the, the most formative years of our marriage and of our family and of our life. And, and God will speak to you. If you're obedient, there is great things that God has for you because they're God's plans for you. Now, without that, it's just you. And you're great. But imagine what it would look like with God's Spirit working in and through you. I want you to, I want you to feel an excitement about what God has for you with his spirit. I want you to feel an excitement of what circumstances would look like where you've been trying to do it by yourself, but add God's spirit, and now it looks different. Now, now you have the same spirit that we see in the early church led people to, to plead with others with the gospel so much that 3,000 were added to the, to the number. I want you to see that, that, that God's spirit can lead you to an act of generosity that can transform Thousands of people's lives with gifts of generosity as giving and receiving at Christmas. There's so many different ways. Let's not limit the way God's Spirit wants to speak to us, both as individuals and as his church. I want to challenge us today. Are you willing to listen to the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to listen to the Holy Spirit? If you're willing, then I want to, I want to ask you to pray this prayer. And the prayer is... Holy Spirit, 
Give me the ability to see you today in whatever way that is so that I may be obedient to your leading. Amen. Whatever way that is, it may be a McDonald's toy. It may be a voice in your mind that you know is different to your normal voice. It may be an urge to go and speak to someone that you don't even know what the conversation is going to be. But God is prompting you to say hi and see what happens from there. I could go on, but I'm not God, so I don't know how he's going to speak to you. But if you are willing and you're a believer, then God's spirit is there. We just need eyes to see. I don't want us to be individuals or a church that misses out on the incredible blessing of God's leading because we're too distracted to hear his spirit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the early church. We thank you for Acts, that we have your spirit within us, an eternal flame. We thank you that your spirit seeks and longs to be able to guide us to a place where we are in alignment with you that we have a passion for others, and in doing so, God, that there is a part in us that wants to plead with the lost, to turn from their ways, to be able to accept this incredible gift of love that is found in Christ. Lord, in doing that, we ask your Spirit to be welcome into our hearts and into our lives. We ask your Spirit to, to have freedom to communicate to us in whatever way that is. Lord, we ask your Spirit to be a louder voice within us than our own. And Lord, I pray that we would have the courage and excitement to hear your Spirit. And as we hear that, may our response be the response of the early church to worship you, to declare your wonders, to praise you, to lift our voices, And Lord, as we align our voice and our our being with who you are, may that draw others to you. You are a good God. You are a loving God. We celebrate you today and we invite your spirit to move in and through your church here at York Street, through its members, through its leaders, through its volunteers through those that are on the edge, those that are still on the journey to understanding who you are and what you've done for them. Lord, we ask that we would be a spirit-filled church because we believe in Jesus. We have accepted him. And we want to be guided by you and only you. In Jesus' name.